This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to our June 25th 2018 edition of Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I welcome you to summer. Summer has arrived, and we're you know approaching the halfway mark of the trading year, the investment year, and the July 4th holidays are sneaking up quickly. And you'll be taking time off to probably visit with some friends and family, but you may also find yourself with an hour or so to contemplate your investment portfolio, what the opportunities are out there, what type of environment we're in, right? What type of uh, positions are you in? You know, we're, it's always, I, I like uh, anybody who isn't intimately involved in the day-to-day uh, trading of their investments, I think you should probably reassess every, every six months or so. Uh, and you can always find ways to better align your positions with the goals you have, with the strategy that you're deploying. And, you know, we are here to help with that, help with uh, anything that uh, is, is in your mind uh, wrong with your portfolio, wrong with your strategy. Uh, and you can always improve in some way. And we want to be a resource for that. And uh, investtalk.com is a resource for that as well. And we always are pushing for you to call in, ask your question, uh, whether it's on our listener line or uh, it's after hours, or or sorry, if it's live, uh, and I like live questions, but after hours works as well. And our goal always on InvestTalk and at KPP Financial is to help you grow and protect your money. But in order to have money to invest, you need to earn some first, right, and save it. So if you're looking for a new and better paying job or perhaps your son or daughter is hoping to find a position or career choice that brings higher earnings or more satisfaction, where would you focus your search? So we're going to take a look at the best options in today on today's program. Now the program is always made more interesting with your questions. So I encourage you to call me right now. You can set the direction right here. Stocks, markets, short-term, long-term strategies, the Invest Talk listener line is open to any money questions right now. And here's a question that came in before today's program at 888-99-CHART. Uh, hello, this is uh, Kenny from Massachusetts. First off, I want to say I really enjoy the program. I've learned quite a bit since I started listening. And right now, it's a, da- it's a daily listen for me in the morning. But I wanted to ask about Flower Foods, ticker symbol FLO. I own a bit of the stock, I uh, got in about $15 a share. Uh, right now, it's, it's, it's just above, hovering above 20. I've noticed the earnings recently have been uh, decreasing in recent years, so it has me a little bit concerned. So I'm wondering if, if I should be looking to get out of the position, or at least trimming it back some, or if I should just keep on and continue to hold. So if you guys could just let me know what you think about the stock, Flower Foods, FLO. Thank you. Goodbye. 
All right, this is a great question because this actually goes to one of uh, our previous holdings. And we also bought it around the 15 level back in 2016. Uh, and that was uh, when the stock was down. It went from 20, the high 20s to around that $15, $16 level uh, over about a, a year span. And a lot of it had to do with uh, the cost of of their uh, deliveries and trucking and, and, and the way they paid workers, paid, paid their trucking uh, truckers. And that's one of the big reasons why the stock dropped. And we found that to be a, a, a pretty weak reason for how dramatic the stock dropped. So we picked it up. Uh, and we actually recently sold it uh, earlier this year in the, around the 52-week high. And around 52-week high is 22.82. I want to say we sold it in the low 22s, 22 and change. And soon after that, earnings came out. It fell uh, into back into the high teens. And now we're at $20.46 a share. Uh, now let's go to the fundamentals of the company. You, you talked about earnings dropping. I'm not really seeing that. Uh, earnings definitely kind of plateaued from 2013 through 2017. Uh, 2013, they made 91 cents a share. 2017, they made 89 cents a share. So earnings were rel r roughly flat over the, that four-year period. But this year, they're supposed to make $1.07, up 20%, and $1.17 next year, up another 9%. Yields 3.5%, 3.5% dividend yield. Return on equity is 15%, which I like that. And for everyone out there, what I don't think I ever got to this, what does flower foods do? Well, they are a maker of packaged foods, mainly breads, rolls, other bake, baked products. Uh, one thing I do like about them, they, they have made some good acquisitions of some organic bread uh, companies. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it, it now. Uh, I knew I, I I haven't looked at the stock in a while in a while since we uh, sold it, but uh, they have made some good acquisitions. They do have a historic uh, uh, strong profitability of you know high return on equity, strong margins. They're 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 in a in a slow kind of boring business. You know it's not an exciting business, but I like it. You know I still like the company overall. You know we sold it uh, around the 22 level, 23 level because we just thought it was. Uh, a little bit too expensive. Now you have a 10% discount or so from there. Uh, it, it's still probably a little expensive for our taste, but uh, you know, long term, it, it depends on your time horizon. Like I said, uh, if if you're looking to about hold this long term, it's not an exciting business, but they tend to produce a lot of positive cash flow. That nice three and a half percent dividend. Uh, if you're looking for something short term. I think this will probably meander in the high teens to low 20s for a while uh, until they get their earnings really uh, kicking up in, in higher gear. Uh, and you're going to get a nice 3.5% dividend while you wait, but uh, depends on, on your time horizon. Short term, not a huge fan. Long term, still like the company. That was Flower Foods. F-L-O is the symbol. 88899 chart, 4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, in a story published by usatoday.com, there was a good news. Uh, there was good news about our economy. Unemployment reached an 18-year low, going down to 3.8 percent. But the for those who are still searching for jobs, some cities have some better prospects than others. Now, the Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics allows analysts to rank the top job markets in the U.S. based on how much uh, the wages rose, whether unemployment dipped, and each city's current jobless rate. So if you're hunting for a better paying job, or maybe a friend or family uh, is, the best spots for jobs are one, San Jose, the Bay Area. Not a shock, right? You have uh, tech, the industry, still 
still doing well, uh, still growing, uh, even though many of the stocks might be overvalued, but uh, the, the business, uh, underlying businesses of many of them are still very, very good. So that's number one. Then just south of that, you have San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, also kind of a, a echo of the tech boom. And surprisingly, number three is Odessa, Texas. Odessa, Texas, the jobless rate is only 2.8%. Uh, and the job and, and the mean wage is, is is you know higher than average. So the t other top cities are Midland, Texas, Charleston, North, South Carolina, Blacksburg, Virginia, Florence, South Carolina, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and Waterloo, Iowa. So if you're looking to land a higher paying job, look for the economies that uh, and cities that are doing well. I want to know what's on your mind. Our program today features uh, our main talking point about the bigger the cryptocurrencies get, the worse they perform. And I'm going to talk about why that is. You know, I've talked. It's been a while since I talked about cryptocurrencies since the kind of the top was in. Uh, was that late last year, early this year? You know, I've never been a huge fan of, of cryptocurrencies uh, after the big boom. Uh, you know, because just the, it was definitely uh, obviously a bubble. Um, but I'm going to talk about why there are some flaws. Uh, I think there will be cryptocurrencies for a long time, but there's certainly flaws in the underlying technology. I'm going to talk about why. And then I also have some other things that are on my mind. One is about GE, and the recent they recently were thrown out of the Dow and their their ultimate downfall of the stock and you know maybe the company has to do with their accounting practices I think this is a good learning lesson a good learning lesson of gap accounting versus non-gap accounting and why you need to look out for these particular things uh, and then I have some other ones as well what do the Trump trade tariffs in relation to China mean for the economy of uh, both countries I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And then lastly, home sales, if we have time, uh, I'll get to that topic as well. So let's look a look at the market today. We had a down market, uh, really a, a tough market. I've talked about the trend of uh, latter in the month. You tend to, tend to be weaker because the Fed is doing more quantitative tightening. Starting in July, quantitative tightening is increasing. Uh, I believe about 30% from 30 billion a month to 40 billion, if I remember correctly. So I know it's increasing, uh, and, and that's certainly going to continue to put pressure on markets in general. Uh, you see that emerging markets are, are getting hit because of quantitative tightening uh, uh, globally, and uh, you're you know even though the economy tends continues to do decent, the tightening. Financial conditions are certainly weighing on the market, and what you're seeing now, you know, value investing is starting to really gain momentum. We've talked about this for a while. I don't know when the, the ultimate shift would take place, but I think we're starting to see that as liquidity conditions tighten up. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and I hope you're taking a proactive approach to managing your portfolio. And as a listener of Invest Talk, you know there are there's an endless complex set of variables that affect the market and your investments as well. And if it's uh, been a while since your last serious portfolio review, I encourage you to take advantage of a limited time opportunity. Register for a free one-on-one -on -one personalized portfolio review session with Steve Peasley on July 18th in San Jose. It's to your advantage. Steve is making appointments now through investtalk.com. Start on the Invest Talk menu link, scroll down and click on Portfolio Review. And right now, I invite you to call with your question at 888-99-CHART. 
July 4th holiday is just over a week out, and Justin's here now at his investment desk, and he's ready to take your questions. Give him a call, 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Bob from Michigan. Uh, just calling about your outlook on the position Sigma. That's uh, symbol CI. Thank you very much. Bye. All right, he's looking at Cigna, Cigna Healthcare, and if you are watching on our YouTube live stream, you'll see uh, some data that I have up in relation to Cigna Corporation. They're about a $42 billion company, provides managed healthcare services through HMOs, PPOs, uh, and they have about 15.8 million members, so certainly one of the larger healthcare provider at, provider or health insurance providers out there. They don't pay a dividend. Revenues are up 9% year over year last quarter. Re earnings are up 48% year over year, but certainly those things can be kind of skewed. But their their revenues have gone up dramatically. Uh, or sorry, their earnings gone up dramatically. 2011, they made just under five dollars a share. 2019, they're supposed to make fourteen dollars and sixty-four cents a share. Certainly, uh, Obamacare has helped a lot of the um, healthcare companies uh, increase revenue. Now, the big problem here is that the stock and the technicals don't look very hot. 52-week uh, high was uh, $227 a share, and we're down 23.5% from there at $173.85. And the momentum does not look very good. Relative strength at 37, so it's certainly underperforming the market uh, as of late. And the chart pattern looks fairly bearish as well. Uh, return equity is 19%. I like that. That's a nice positive, uh, positive number. Um, but I just don't like the technicals, and I don't like what's happening within the healthcare industry. From more regulation on uh, on, on drug companies, uh, more regulation uh, around the, the mandate. The mandate. Remember, they got rid of the mandate part of the the tax overhaul. The mandate to purchase uh, uh, healthcare, and so that's certainly I think going to help hurt the. Uh, the companies, the, the healthcare companies, and I, I'm just not a fan of Cigna at these levels and with this chart pattern. Give me a call. I want to hear from you at 888-99-CHART. Steve Peasley will be meeting with InvestTalk listeners in personalized portfolio review meetings in San Jose on July 18th. But space is limited, so please submit your appointment request now. Start on the InvestTalk menu link at investtalk.com. Then choose Portfolio Review and follow instructions. Okay, back to your questions now. Justin is here, and he's ready for your call. 888-99-CHART. All right, let's go to Mark in Newark. How are you doing, Mark? Uh, not too bad. Thanks for taking my call. I got a question for you. RAD, Rite Aid, uh, it's been kind of yeah. on an upswing from $1.50. Do you think it's, it's going to go any higher, like let's say two fifty or $3? Uh, that depends on the outcome of their proposed merger with Albertsons. Do you know anything about that? Uh, is that supposed to happen mid uh, July or something? 
Uh, the, there's, it's still up in the air, uh, there, uh, from what I understand, uh, I haven't really frankly looked into it in detail, um, uh, but that's what the headlines are telling me, uh, and, uh, these things tend to, until there's a final agreement, uh, these things tend to fluctuate and the stock rallies sometimes based on, uh, certain rumors and news and can sell off quickly. Um, so, you know, certainly a high risk stock, uh, the reason that the, the, the merger is proposed is Rite Aid's in, in some uh, tough financial situation. They're, they're losing money, uh, they, they have a lot of debt, and they, they're, they could go bankrupt uh, easily. Yeah, and they, uh, Albertsons is... is, is uh, roll out, rolling the dice if I want to play it, huh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's certainly, uh, I, you know, I'd have to understand kind of what Albertsons is looking to pay for them, uh, what the motivations are. I'd have to look deeper to give you any sense of whether uh, it's probably going to go higher or not. Uh, but it's okay, certainly, well, either way, it's going to be high risk. Can I ask you one more question? Uh, AMD, what, sure. what is your feeling about AMD? Well, the chip sector in general, I think, is topping. Uh, you saw the SMH, the semiconductor index, really start to sell off hard, and that's what you're starting to see. Is is tech is is no longer leading uh, this market? Maybe some of the 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 top, you know, the Fang names or whatever. But uh, there are many that are selling off, and I think uh, the chip sector tends to be extremely cyclical. You know, in 2012, this company lost 16 cents a share, and this, this year it's supposed to make 45 cents a share, 61 cents a share next year, uh, and it can be very volatile. So I wouldn't buy it up here. Okay. Hey, thanks a lot for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for the call, Mark. He was asking about Rite Aid, RAD, and AMD Advanced Micro Devices. 88899 chart. 88992 Let's talk a little bit about cryptocurrencies. And the Bank of International Settlement, Settlements came out on Sunday with its latest warning about virtual currencies and cryptocurrencies. And uh, they, they, they see that there's, they're likely to suffer a breakdown in trust and the efficiency of them becomes weaker as the more people use a particular cryptocurrency. And why is that? Uh, and I talked about this earlier in the year when I really had a, a kind of a special uh, episode on cryptocurrencies, and it has to do with blockchain bloat. It's very simple. Uh, blockchain is a ledger of historical transactions, and each transaction has to go through each each subsequent transaction has to go through the history of the transactions, and that makes the cost of uh, of doing the transaction higher the more transactions there have been in history uh, and this is goes to just the young uh, immature nature of blockchain and not to say blockchain doesn't have its uses but in, in the currency space when you have want to have lots of transactions if you want to have a viable currency uh, it's just it breaks down over time uh, and it creates higher transaction costs and it limits the number of transactions per second that the system can handle and this really calls into question the ability for the cryptocurrencies under the current blockchain uh, uh, technology to really scale, right, uh, and be a viable currency, not just an asset, but a currency. And these are the, so they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be cryptocurrencies, just to replace dollars and yens and euros, etc. Uh, that 
have been just printed out of thin air by uh, central banks. And, you know, I get that uh, to a large extent, uh, but you have to have something that's scalable and usable over the long term. And so that's really the biggest issue. Uh, and, and the bigger they, the, the more cryptocurrencies out there, the bigger the blockchain is, the more energy it takes, and the higher the transaction costs, and the slower the transactions are. So that's really what you see uh, as of late, and that's why Bitcoin, uh, for example, it had a high of uh, 19,000. Now, uh, over the weekend, it hit about 6,000. So it's down over two-thirds from its high. And this is the classic, uh, just uh, bursting of a bubble. Uh, just like the NASDAQ in 2000, you know, uh, uh, it took a couple years for it to bottom. And I think that's probably what you'll see over the next couple years is cryptocurrencies slowly kind of fading into not oblivion, but irrelevance for the foreseeable future. Now I want to hear from you. What's on your mind? Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Our Invest Talk podcast continues. One of KPP Financial's solutions that help solve today's retirement puzzle is our balanced income portfolio. How do you get the income you need in retirement without the kind of risk that you don't feel comfortable with? That's what this program is all about the Balanced Income Portfolio from KPP Financial. And remember, as with each KPP program, the principles at KPP are invested right along with you. Would you like to know more about it? The Balanced Income Portfolio? You can call 888-99-CHART and follow the prompts, or you can ask Steve about it directly. Just click on the Contact Steve button on investtalk.com. Now let's get back to the podcast. It's a Monday Invest Talk. Steve and Justin, thank you for listening. And please remember that one of the goals of this program is to inform and educate without injecting unwanted bias or third party propaganda. Invest Talk is a constant resource for learning about the complex variables affecting your ability to attain financial success. But right now, Justin's here at his desk, so give him a call with your questions. 888 99 Chart. Hi, Steve and Justin. My name's Garrett. I'm from Montana. I just started investing. I'm only 24 years old. And uh, I was wondering what your guys' opinion on uh, long-term calls and pots is, options. Also, what your opinion will be on buying a long-term call on Groupon. I really like your program. Have a good day. All right, well, in general, if you're ever going to buy options, you want to buy a lot of time. Uh, and that's typically uh, because the, 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 the curve of how, uh, how options work is that the last uh, 90 days or so is when the time value starts to disappear uh, dramatically. So any time you're using options, you want to use six months, a year plus in time to uh, give yourself ample amount of time uh, for whatever you see happening uh, play out. And uh, he's looking at Groupon. Uh, most people know who Groupon is. They provide discount deals from local retailers and service providers in 28 countries. And their revenues continue to decline. Uh, last quarter, they were down 7% year over year. Uh, but their earnings uh, remains uh, roughly flat uh, since 2013. They made uh, 11 cents then, and they made 11 cents in 2017. This year, they're supposed to make 24 cents a share and 27 cents a share next year. Uh, that's interesting. 
considering their revenues are falling, how they're going to continue to make more money. Now, certainly they could be reducing costs. Uh, maybe they are getting rid of loss-making uh, deals that they've been doing or operations. And they're focusing maybe more on things that are cash flow positive, which is good. Their cash from operations is, while not at an all-time low, uh, certainly in the bottom half of, of where it's been all time. So that worries me a little bit. I don't like that. Uh, the, the positive is the return on equity is strong, 15% uh, or so. And long term, if uh, that continues in the mid-teens or higher, then they should be able to earn enough money to where their stock goes higher. You know, my, my biggest worry is, let's see, what's their debt? Uh, debt to equity. Yeah, they have a decent amount of debt in their balance sheet. Uh, their cash flow per share, 34 cents a share. That's pretty good. The chart, it, it's kind of in no man's land. Uh, it's certainly in a longer term downtrend, but recently it had a nice spike in uh, March, uh, early 2016, and it really has been consolidating that move. You know, it hit a low of $2 and change, and then it uh, it kind of rallied into the 4 or $5 mark, and now it's been bouncing between, say, 3 and $5 for a couple of years now. And that is overall kind of a, a positive, that after a long downdraft that it's starting to at least hold water and consolidate uh, an up move. And uh, if you watched our uh, our webinar uh, last month or got our recent email of the, uh, the webinar replay, uh, you can watch that and it talks a little bit about consolidation and why that's a positive over the long term. So uh, do, do I love Groupon? No, I like the technicals a little bit and the, the, the headway it's made recently. It's certainly not overpriced at these levels, especially if they make 27 cents a share next year, like uh, analysts are projecting. In that case, it's uh, you know it's a, it's a decent value with a strong profitability. But my biggest worry is why are revenues falling? And you can't continue to have a business where revenue is falling and earnings go up without some accounting shenanigans. So that is the biggest thing that worries me. Why are they doing it? How is how are they getting that earnings increase? Uh, and is that a sustainable reason uh, with revenues falling? Or maybe they have plans to abate or stop that fall in revenues. All right, so that was Groupon. I like long-term options if you have a conviction play and make sure you buy enough time. Now, that's a good segue to GE. Uh, you know, I talked a little bit just now about the counting gimmicks that can happen, and GE is a great example of that. And this is something I think everybody needs to study. If you're out there, you're investing in the markets, you need to go look at GE and why the stock has fallen 54% uh, over the last year and recently gotten uh, ex expulsed. Uh, their recent expulsion from the Dow, and uh, they're going to be replaced after decades and decades of being a stalwart uh, in the Dow. And this high, the highlight is that their accounting practices were confusing and potentially misleading uh, for many, many years. And they they use non-standard metrics uh, to kind of make the the state of their business look more murky, more positive than it really was, uh, and you really had to do some uh, uh, mental gymnastics to really figure out what exactly the earnings were, and that was a big red flag. And eventually, just like all companies, the fundamentals play out. Uh, long, short-term sentiment and and uh, 
fervor can really move the stock, right? Depending on news and how investors are feeling about a particular company. Uh, but ultimately, long-term earnings are what matters. And GE was making some accounting gimmicks or using some accounting gimmicks uh, that go back many, many years uh, uh, under the under Jack Welsh and Jeff Immelt. And Welsh had a uh, uh, had a really a personality and a cult following and uh, similar to kind of how Elon Musk is uh, and they both had some questionable or have some questionable uh, ways they, they do business uh, and the, it's sh showing now that the SEC is having a probe actually on both companies uh, and to uh, various aspects of, of their business and how that actually comes to uh, you know what the actual end result of GE is will is yet to be determined. You know they're probably going to have to break up the company, uh, but really they're trying to give more transparency to investors. And it's been difficult after years and years of bad accounting practices. They're they're starting to come clean, and it's reversing a lot of these uh, good numbers that have been reported over the years, and showing that the amount of debt that they have in their balance sheet is really a big issue uh, and is going to cause a lot of trouble in staying in business and unwinding this concoction of businesses that they've acquired and developed and, and maneuvered over the years. And this is a great example, once again, of non-GAAP accounting practices. You hear that many times. You hear earnings come out. The non-GAAP number is this. The GAAP number is that. Well, it shows you how accountants can do a million things to really move a number one way or the other depending on how they feel. And that's why a lot of times you want to use uh, cash flow. This is why I like cash flow more than anything because cash flow is a lot more difficult to uh, manipulate. And you really need to understand these intricacies. Otherwise, you are going to get duped by non-GAAP numbers. And you always want to look at the GAAP numbers and make sure that the, the companies you're investing in aren't using the shady uh, accounting practices that really will give you a red flag. I'm Justin Kleins. DPs and I work hard to inform and be better educate our loyal listeners on radio and via podcast as well. And on investtalk.com, we posted a simple and honest statement on the homepage. It says, the investtalk commitment to reason and common sense guidance can help make you a better investor. And we really believe that is true. InvestTalk consistently provides independent investment advice, which is never influenced by bias or third-party propaganda. So please make it part of your daily routine to visit InvestTalk.com. I thank you now, and your, your portfolio results should reflect your dedication and hard work going forward. So uh, I'm happy to hear that you are a consistent listener. Now let's get to another caller who took time to leave their question on our Anytime Listener line at 888-99-CHART. Hi, I uh, just was wondering what your thoughts on ticker symbol DQ. It went down a lot today, and I think it was because of uh, regulations from China. So uh, just fundamentally, just wanted your thoughts on the company and what might be a good price to, to get in. Thank you, and uh, love your show. Bye-bye. All right, I've never heard of this company. DACO New Energy Corp. This is an ADR uh, this is a Chinese company, Chinese manufacturer of polysilicon for use in photovoltaic, vo vo in, in uh, uh, solar panels, basically. 
so they're a solar panel panel manufacturer in China, and uh, the, the has risen pretty dramatically from about twelve dollars a share back in 2015, all the way to sixty or fifty-two week high of seventy-two fifty. Now we're at thirty-three fifty. Uh, so this is a great example of how these growth companies, Chinese companies, can uh, you can they can have great momentum and they can get cut in half just as quickly. Uh, it was at 72 just uh, uh, earlier this year, and now we're, uh, what, 53%, 54% below that. Revenues are up dramatically year over year, but that's very uh, fluctuates wildly. It's a $430 million market cap company. Earnings are supposed to fall 13% this year, 1% next year. That's certainly a worry. Why is that? Uh, and I'm just looking in general. I don't really like the manufacturers of solar panels uh, unless they have some sort of proprietary advantage, proprietary technology that's going to give them uh, a leg up and better margins, uh, better manufacturing process, things like that. Now certainly DQ or DACO or however you want to pronounce it uh, could have that, but I don't know about that in particular. Typically these type of companies uh, are have boom and bust. You know, 2013 they lost $10.25 a share and this year they're supposed to make a little less than $8 a share. So it goes up and down wild, and I think after the drop, uh, technically there is some support at the breakout area around, mm, call it $25, $26 a share from the consolidation pattern uh, in 2016 and 17. It broke out at the end of 2017, and I think it's probably going to return there. So I think $25 is going to be good support. Uh, but I don't know enough about the company. I don't really like the Chinese companies because I don't really trust their accounting and uh, the way these things work. I'd really have to do a lot more homework on it. Uh, and especially you talked about regulation. What is that going to do? What does that mean uh, for the company? I need a little more specifics to give you uh, a better sense. Now let's talk a, a little bit about, uh, it's a good segue to China and the trade tariffs. And obviously President Trump has uh, proposed a new round of tariffs on China. He wants to add 10% tariff on $200 billion in Chinese goods. And China promised to retaliate if that happened. So certainly this is uh, a risk of a trade war. And it could crawl, claw back a lot of the economic gains that were uh, th that the tax cuts gave uh, not only the U.S. economy but the, the economy in general, the global economy. So he's looking at 250 billion dollars uh, in 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 imports are, uh, that he's looking to increase tariffs on. That's about 1.8 percent of Chinese GDP. And the, but the impact is thought to be a lot smaller. First, about a third of the value add, added of Chinese exports comes from imported components. The second, the, the impact of tariffs depend on the price elasticity of demand, meaning that just because you add a 10% uh, tariff on something, China, production in China could still remain the least expensive option. Now, at the margin, it might affect things. That once again depends on the elasticity of demand. And this is a term in economics of you know prices go up. How much do the the people who demand that product or service uh, uh, change their buying habits? Now the first fifty billion dollars in goods, we assume uh, a twenty-five percent increase in tariffs. And if that happens, the that could eliminate a lot of those. 
uh, those goods. The next 200 billion, he's looking at a 10% increase in tariffs, which would be much less impactful. So in total, it's looking like uh, uh, the, the total impact on GDP in China would be about half a percent of their GDP. But China's, remember, they're, well, they're, they're a, their political system allows them to offset these things pretty easily with uh, one fell swoop. Um, and I expect them to do that. Uh, now, this is certainly a worry, certainly a worry for the global economy. Um, but I don't think it'll have as big of an impact as people think it will. I think the risk and the, 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 the rhetoric behind it is a lot bigger than the actual impact. And I think they'll come to some sort of agreement that will be a mild change to trade policy. Let's go to Larry in San Jose. How are you doing, Larry? Hi, just fine. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for making it. I I, I got a question on uh, NatApp. That's uh, N-A-T-P. Or, uh, excuse me, N-T-A-P. Yep. Stores company. Yeah, I'd like to know if um, I, I got some stocks in it. I'd like to know, should I... Uh, buy more? Should I sell it, or should I um, hold? Okay, you're looking at NTAP, uh, NetApp Incorporated. They manufacture integrated network storage and data management hardware for corporations and government agencies. Certainly been on a tear. I uh, hit a low in 2016, uh, roughly $20 a share. Now we're at 76.94, very close to a 52-week high, uh, just about 3% off that. Return on equity is 39%, very positive. Yields 2.1%. Revenues are up 11% year over year, and that's accelerating. I like that. Earnings are up 22% year over year. Uh, that's decelerating a little bit, but still certainly uh, on a nice growth trajectory. And uh, let me take a look at some valuation metrics that I think are really important. Enterprise value to EBITDA is 11.79, not necessarily uh, too high, you know, not uh, not not out of whack. Um, I like, I would hold it. I don't know if I'd buy more up here, uh, but the momentum uh -huh. remains strong. The valuation doesn't seem overly stretched. Um, what percentage of your portfolio is it? Let's say that. Five percent. 5%. Okay, def I wouldn't add more because you're at 5%. So I would stick with what you have and have a trailing stop on it. Thanks for the call, Larry. I want to hear from you. 888-99-CHART. We have about 10 minutes left, so get your call in now at 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, European Union tariffs on select goods have begun. Will they really hurt the U.S.? That's tomorrow. But now, Justin is ready and waiting for your calls. He's got answers to your financial questions. Give him a call now, 888-99-CHART. Let's talk a little about the housing market. And uh, there was existing home sales released late last week. And for the second consecutive month uh, in May, a shortage of available properties really uh, clamped down on purchases and transactions. And what you're seeing is there's low supply, continues to be low supply, and what you're adding to that now is hiring borrowing costs. And that is likely to continue to slow down sales of existing homes. And really, this is uh, the lack of uh, available properties for sale remains the biggest problem. And that was likely gonna limit the amount of transactions that happen. And 
this is important because typically the more house, the more homes are, are sold, not just new homes, but the, the uh, transfer of existing homes creates a lot of, 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 of economic activity because the new uh, tenant wants to maybe redo the home in some way, uh, upgrade it, maybe buy furniture that more fits uh, that particular new home. Uh, and so that creates consumer spending and, uh, and, and purchase of durable goods, right? They bought, might buy a new fridge or a new washer and dryer, etc. And these things uh, are really drive economic activity. So that's certainly something to watch. And uh, if you look at the month of supply, it rose to 4.1%. What this is, is available inventory divided by sales. So if uh, no new, no new uh, properties came on the market, and you continued at the same level of sales for the next four months, it would take that 4.1 months to sop up all of that current supply. Uh, and that was up a little bit, tick from 4.0 uh, the month, month prior. Uh, but anything less than five months is typically considered a tight market. So we remain in a tight uh, real estate market uh, for existing homes. And the biggest problem, I think, is first-time home buyers. Uh, it's all accounted for only 31% of purchases in May. That's down from 33 in April. And the average historical norm is about 40%. And this reached about 50% back in 2010. And really, that's the lifeblood of the housing market is new entrants, right? People who don't own a home and never owned a home are going in and buying uh, property. And if that continues to be, you know, kind of sub 35, that's going to 35% of purchases, that's going to really limit the ability for the housing market to really pick up steam. Now we get a wide variety of investing and finance questions on our anytime listener line at 888.99 chart. Let's hear from a caller now. Hey, this is Charlie from Pensacola. I was calling about Under Armour, ticker symbol UA. They kind of finally look like they're picking up some momentum and I just kind of know I don't know what you guys think. Thank you. All right, he's looking at Under Armour. They market performance apparel, footwear, accessories. Uh, and, you know, my biggest thing is I don't like the... I don't like the leadership within this company. Uh, I, I have a I, I have an investment in um, a privately held company called Hyperice, and they're kind of in related field uh, recovery, etc. Um, but uh, I know the the founder, and he's intimately involved with Nike and Under Armour, and 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 he he knows the management, and management there uh, just really doesn't have a direction. They don't seem to have uh, they still have other projects. I think one has launched an alcohol company. They're just kind of all over the map. Um, and so while the stock has risen pretty dramatically from its 52-week low of 22, uh, sorry, $10.36, now it's at $20.76. So it's kind of doubled over the past uh, six months or so as you saw revenue re-accelerate. Uh, one of the big problems was September of last year, third quarter revenues down 4%. And they've kind of reversed that now. Revenues are up 5% uh, in the fourth quarter, 6% in, this, in the first quarter. But earnings aren't really turning around. You have earnings down negative uh, one cent in the fourth quarter, positive one cent in the first quarter. Earnings are supposed to be 20 cents this year, uh, but analysts are downgrading that. 36 cents next year. Return equity is only 4%. 
I just don't like it. Uh, I just don't like the leadership. I don't like the valuation. Uh, it's a very competitive industry, and I think uh, Nike is a superior company. If you're going to invest in one, I'm investing in Nike. That's it for today's program. I hope you learned something of a value in this hour. If you like, if you like additional information, take a moment to send me a message through investtalk.com. Go to the Contact Us link, scroll down, and send me a message or question. I'm Justin Klein. Stephen, I thank you for listening today. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.